Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome into the Jeff Andrea Show here on Tuesday, February 18th. Thank you so much for tuning in here with me today. I hope you all had a fantastic long weekend. Had the chance to uh, meet up with some family on family day yesterday. Maybe enjoy a good Valentine's Day with some of you love on Friday. All good things that I hope you were able to take advantage of. Remember, if you have any burning questions or have a subject you'd like to hear me talk more about, or maybe you just want to say hi, please don't hesitate to email me at jandreas at stingray.com or hit me up on Twitter at Jeffrey underscore Andreas. That's J-E-F-F-R-E-Y underscore A-N-D-R-E-A-S. A good show lined up here today to kick off this shortened week. At the end of the program, I'm going to be joined by Kamloops Blazers play-by-play man John Keane. It was a great long weekend for the Blazers as they scored three wins in their three games here at home at Sandman Center. They notched a 5-3 win over Red Deer on Friday. Local boy Logan Stankoven scored a goal and added an assist in that contest. Yesterday was a crazy back-and-forth game where it seemed like neither Kamloops nor Victoria were overly interested in getting two points, but both teams did keep fighting, and eventually the Blazers pulled out the 7-6 win in overtime. Stankoven scored a pair and added two helpers in the process there. But... The highlight of the weekend happened on Saturday night. It was the first of the two games against the division rival Royals. The Blazers scored a 5-3 win, and it was an incredible night for local boy Logan Stankoven as he scored not one, not two, no, not three, but four goals in the game. Here is John Keane with the call. Here's a pass in front of us. Yeah, it was a pretty crazy weekend for the local kids, scoring a total of seven times, adding another three helpers. Not a bad weekend. With that, Stankoven now has 25 goals on the season, good enough for 22nd in the WHL, and his 41 points also having sitting, have him sitting seventh in rookie scoring. The Blazers' franchise record for goals by a 16-year-old is 29, a record owned by Rob Brown, who accomplished the feat in 1984-85, and Stankoven is now at 25 goals with 13 games left to play. So safe to say that that record is definitely in jeopardy as Stankoven looks to uh, hit that 30-goal mark and set a new standard for Blazers' rookie when it comes to goals. Head coach Sean Clouston was on the NL Morning News today and had this to say about the recent play of Stankoven. Yeah, you know what? He, he's been really good in the second half. I mean, he's been good all season, but there's, there's been a little bit of a difference. Um, you know, I read or heard, you know, he attributed to a little bit of that just last night, maybe just some extra conditioning. Um, he, you know, he obviously had a, a huge night, a huge game of a four-goal game. I mean, that's that's almost unheard of, especially at his age. But he, but he was really, uh, really aggressive. Uh, you know, really went after it that night. Had, had, had so much extra jump when uh, we compared to, uh, you know, to where he had been maybe at the start of the season to where he is now. I mean, uh, and, and he was good at the start of the season, but you know, he's, he's got an extra gear at times right now. He's, he's really feeling confident, and he really attacked the game. 
Yeah, so Coach was also asked about who he might compare Stankoven to at the NHL level. He had a few good names, including uh, Braden Point and Brendan Gallagher. Not some not bad comparables at all, but uh, clearly with Logan being listed at 5'7 and 165, size does seem to be a big impact on who he is being looked at as uh, someone he might uh, turn into at the NHL level. But uh, let's just focus on the season that is right now, uh, having a great year. Like I said, 25 goals with 13 games left to go. And a, a really awesome rookie season for the former fourth overall pick to the WHL draft here. And um, I just am looking forward to see where the playoffs go because with the six points that the Blazers got over the weekend, they now said 10 points clear of Victoria for top spot in the BC division. And they did actually clinch a playoff spot in the process there over the course of this family day long weekend. So we will see some playoff action here in Kamloops. That is not a surprise given how the season has gone so far, but now it is official. And um, yeah, like I said, 10 points clear of second place. So it looks like they are in a good position here to lock up um, the home ice here, at least for the first couple of rounds of the WHL playoffs. So Keener will come on at around the 50 mark of the show to go over, like I said, a very successful weekend of junior hockey here in in Kamloops. Coming up on the first part of the back half of the show, we'll be speaking with TRU scientist Jonathan Van Ham. He recently wrote a piece for theconversation.com. It's entitled, A Blanket Ban on Toxic Forever Chemicals is Good for People and Animals. Van Ham is talking about the phasing out of the sale of products treated with, uh, I can't say the word, so I'm just going to go with the acronym PFAS, known as PFAS, if you will. Um, so for those who don't know, because uh, I didn't know at first, PFAS is a family of chemicals known for their nonstick, water repellent, and stain resistant properties and are used in things like cookware, clothing, carpets, cosmetics, and military and industrial applications. So lots of... Um, items and products that these chemicals are in and uh, what what concerns come as a result of that i mean we see some of these products now that they're being older and and well used they're starting to be thrown out end up in dumps uh it takes a long time for these chemicals to break down so now they're starting to end up in our soils and our water systems and what concerns come as a result of all of that well jonathan van ham will join me at around the 35 minute mark to talk a little bit more about these chemicals these lifelong chemicals forever chemicals whatever you wish to call them and the concerns that come with that so that'll be coming up at around the 35 minute mark of the show and coming up in just a little bit i'll be joined by my usual usual post weekend guest acumen laws kyla lee kyla and i have a few things on the agenda of uh, what we could discuss uh, last week a Kelowna bus driver was issued an immediate roadside prohibition after police alleged he drove drunk with a passenger on board Kelowna rcmp received a call from a passenger on a Kelowna regional transit bus at around 1:35 in the morning on sunday not this past sunday but the weekend before the passenger said the bus was being driven erratically and was concerned about the driver's ability to drive. A police officer uh, caught up with the bus and ordered the driver to pull over, and police said the driver exhibited several signs of impairment and subsequently failed a roadside breath test. The 52-year-old man was issued a 90-day driving suspension as a result. So we'll talk a little bit about that situation. There was also an interesting story recently about a busted student driver who was in the middle of a driving lesson, and he was end up, ended up being busted for impaired driving. The incident happened on February 2nd, when an officer saw the car with a large student driver sign on the back run a stop sign. The officer pulled the car over and then administered a roadside sobriety test. The 44-year-old student driver failed and was issued a 90-day suspension. The instructor also saw their car get impounded for 30 days 
As a result, investigators said both the driver and the driving school could subsequently face an ICBC review. So that's uh, also on the agenda for things to talk about as well. There was also a recent decision from a traffic court. Uh, the B.C. Provincial Court provided further clarity to the seemingly endless gray area that is the distracted driving laws here in British Columbia. Uh, there was a case where uh, a woman was seen driving with her phone plugged in and sitting on her lap. The screen was not illuminated and she was not touching the device. Uh, the officer did give her a ticket for distracted driving and uh, argued that simply having a phone resting on or near her lap was using it while the defendant uh, clearly had uh, another idea of what distracted driving entails. Um, so Kyla and I will be getting into that, what the decision was here by the BC Provincial Court and uh, what's kind of... Uh, what, what gray area that might help resolve uh, that currently exists when talking about our distracted driving laws here in this province. So we'll be getting into all of that in just a little bit. So please, please stay tuned. We got more Jeff and Dre show coming up after the break. Stick around. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back here on Tuesday, February 18th. Hope you all had a fantastic family day, long weekend. I am pleased now to welcome in my next guest, Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, how are you doing this morning? I'm not bad, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, always love having you on. I know we had a bit of a twitch up here with Monday being a holiday, but get you here on Tuesday instead. So thanks so much for being here. Um, so I want to start with this incident regarding a student driver getting an impaired charge. Uh, first of all, have you ever seen something like that happen before? That's the first time I've ever heard of a case like this where somebody is in the middle of a driving lesson and gets pulled over and uh, and ultimately issued a prohibition for driving under the influence of alcohol. It's shocking. Yeah, definitely something I was surprised to read about. Now, uh, you know, assuming this individual was in fact impaired, um, I guess what what should the the um, instructor be on the hook for in this case? I mean, what is the responsibility of an instructor who's teaching someone how to drive to make sure the, the person they're teaching is in fact sober? Well, in every circumstance where you're taking this role as a driving instructor, you have a heightened obligation to make sure that you're protecting the safety of everybody on the roadway. And the first thing that that involves is ensuring that the person that you're instructing is safe and ready to be behind the wheel. I wouldn't be surprised if ICBC took some independent action to revoke this person's instructor privileges. You have to qualify and be regulated by ICBC to be a proper driving instructor. And by failing to ensure the sobriety of the person that was behind the wheel, I think that's going to put this person's license as an instructor in jeopardy. Uh, with that being said, if some of those steps were to in fact be taken, I would think that would maybe put a, not a lot of fear, but just a, a little bit of an extra thought into a driving instructor's brain before getting behind the wheel with, uh, with a student driver. Um, you know, do you think we could start seeing, uh, you know, prospective drivers or, or new drivers who are getting taught uh, driving lessons that they're going to have to start taking maybe a sobriety test before getting on the road just to make sure that the instructor is protecting themselves? I think that that would be maybe a step too far because this is such an unusual situation and, and, you know, certainly something that in my entire career I've never heard of happening before. But I think at least some, you know, effort is going to be made now by instructors to just try and smell the breath of the person behind the wheel, you know, take a closer look at their eyes to see, you know, the condition of their pupils and whether their eyes are red or, or bloodshot. Um, you know, ask them, have you had anything to drink or have you consumed any drugs or cannabis today? Just making some basic inquiries to ensure 
that everything is being done safely and properly. Yeah, I mean, uh, you never really would expect to be picking up someone for a lesson and, and have them be impaired, but clearly it's something that is entirely possible. So one more thing for uh, instructors to be aware of. Uh, speaking of impaired drivers, there was also an incident in Kelowna last week where a bus driver was found to be impaired. A uh, passenger called the driver into police at around 1.30 Sunday morning. So the first thing I was thinking that maybe this bus driver was, uh, you know, working and decided he had an opportunity to go out on Sunday or Saturday night and party until it was time to drive other partiers home. Um, so anyways, but, uh, you know, this is something, again, you don't see every day. First, we saw a, a, a driving instructor uh, or sorry, a, a new student driver get uh, an impaired charge. And now a bus driver here getting an impaired charge. I mean, is this something you've ever seen before? Have you ever seen someone who's responsible for that many people, uh, a bus driver being pulled over for impaired? I have seen these cases. Um, uh, unfortunately, the ones that I've seen involve school buses, so arguably even worse than this situation. Um, but this is less uh, uh, uncommon than a lot of people would think. And it's really unfortunate that we're seeing two of these cases in close proximity to one another. Um, it makes me really wonder about whether we're doing enough in British Columbia to educate people about the dangers of impaired driving and to ensure that people who are getting behind the wheel of, of their vehicles are sober in the first place, not just taking them off the road after they've posed significant risk to the public, um, particularly when, at least in this Kelowna case, they're operating a bus full of passengers and putting all of those people at risk. Yeah, um, I mean, it sounds to me from, from what I was reading, it wasn't an overly packed bus and there was, uh, you know, this one individual who did end up calling because uh, they, they were uncomfortable with the way that the bus driver was driving. But uh, that's probably a difficult call to make to uh, call uh, 911 on your your bus driver while you're sitting in the back and probably worried about them potentially hearing you. But uh, yeah, I guess uh, more important to stay safe and call in the issue if you do uh, suspect something uh, is going wrong in that case. Um, yeah, that's just bizarre. I would never, you know, anticipate that uh, getting on a bus that your driver could potentially be impaired because the whole point or sometimes when you're getting on a bus, the whole point is to make sure you have a sober ride home. So uh, definitely something for exactly. people to be aware of. Um, yeah, anything else to add on, on that particular case other than that it is just a little bit odd? It, it, it's odd, but it also, I think, points to something that we really should be doing as a protection of the public issue. With, with anybody who is a professional driver in British Columbia, we should be requiring that those commercial vehicles, buses, you know, big rigs, anything like that, have a, an interlock device installed in them so that these types of incidents can't happen. And, and putting that in those vehicles would protect so many people. It would, pre it would eliminate the vehicles that pose the largest risk on the roadways because of their size. Um, and it, it's a common sense thing because these people are driving in a professional capacity. They have a much lower uh, sort of uh, privacy interest. Yeah, that's, uh, that makes sense. That's uh, definitely a precaution that could easily be taken, really, and, and uh, would uh, pretend, prevent this kind of situation from occurring. Um, one other thing, too, that we, we had on our list here was um, the, the distracted driving, because there was a case here uh, where a woman was pulled over for having her phone on her lap, essentially. She wasn't touching it. It wasn't uh, illuminated or, uh, you know, it wasn't really on, if you will, but it was on her lap and it was supposedly charging. And uh, she was given a distracted driving ticket, but the B.C. court, um, provincial court, has said uh, that it was not, in fact, distracted driving. Um, so just for, for, for clarification purposes, I guess, what does this mean moving forward when we're talking about distracted cases? Does this clarify some things for you now that this ruling has come out? 
this does clarify one thing. I mean, it's already been clarified that simply charging your phone is not using the phone in the vehicle. Um, but what this clarifies is where your phone can be. We have further clarification on that issue. So now we know that it's not against the law to have your phone on your lap. And unfortunately, it was very common to see police officers ticketing people who had their phones just resting on their laps while they were driving. Um, lots of people in British Columbia have received those tickets. So it's nice to see the, the clarification from the court, you know, one way that this is not something that is uh, that is against the law as it's currently written. Yeah, I mean, we've seen tickets being handed out for, you know, having your phone in your cup holder or somewhere else in your, in your center console or now in this case on your lap. Um, I mean, do you think we're still going to see a lot of tickets issued uh, for these kinds of things? Like, it feels like these sorts of fines are still being handed out despite the fact that uh, the courts seem to have, um, you know, clarified things a little bit in terms of where your phone can be. But uh, I imagine we're still going to be seeing a lot of these cases fought in court as a result. Yeah, unfortunately, that is uh, that is true. Uh, we, despite the fact that the courts have clarified these things on numerous occasions, we still see numerous cases where people are are ticketed for things that the courts have repeatedly determined is not illegal, and that's just a problem of the information being disseminated to individual police officers who are enforcing the law. My hope is that this ruling will trigger some clarification in the way the legislation is written. Um, I know that uh, Minister Mark Barnworth has said that as a result of this ruling, they are going to be reviewing the legislation and looking at whether or not they need to make some changes. And it would be nice to see those changes come because they are long overdue. Um, what, what advice would you give to a person who maybe is, uh, you know, in the, on the road and is being pulled over and is being handed a distracted driving ticket for something that they don't feel is distracted driving? Uh, I guess what advice would you give to that person? Because you probably don't want to see them blowing up at the officer because that's not really going to help your situation. Um, so what should a person in that situation do? say nothing or take the ticket and file it in dispute right away and if it is something where you think i'm not falling within what the, the the legislation prohibits as far as use call a lawyer i mean i will give somebody advice for free on the phone if they want to know whether what they were doing with their phone was against the law um but many lawyers will do that it's not you know it's not a big ask and it's not going to cost you any money to say hey i got a ticket for this is that against the law and then you can determine whether or not you want to proceed with your dispute at that point Right on. Well, uh, that pretty much wraps up our time here, Kyla, but always love having you on here after the weekend. So thanks so much for taking the time to come on here on Tuesday as opposed to Monday. Always appreciate it and uh, have yourself a, a great rest of your day here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Right on. That was Acumen Laws. Kyla Lee, yeah, a number of interesting issues there on the table. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens. That, that one with the bus driver and that one with the student driver, those two are uh, sort of really bizarre to me. So it uh, be interesting to see if anything further comes from those situations, if there are any uh, fallouts as a result. Like uh, Kyla was talking, maybe interlocks on public vehicles, things like that could definitely be something that could be considered as a result. So we'll see what happens. Uh, coming up next, some chemicals that have incredibly long life cycles and appear in thousands upon thousands of products maybe something that we want to phase out of our lives they're called PFAS's or PFAS and they appear in many household items and can take a very long time to break down I'll be joined by TRU scientist Jonathan Fanham after the break to talk more about these chemicals and the concerns that they pose the voice of your community radio NL 610 a.m. news talk and radio NL.com here's Jeff Andreas
Hello and welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show and thanks so much for tuning in. Some major retail chains are phasing out the sale of products treated with PFAS. It's a family of chemicals known for their nonstick, water-repellent, and stain-resistant properties. TRU scientist Jonathan Van Ham wrote a piece in the Conversation Canada about why products like clothing, carpets, and cookware are treated with these substances and why they're being phased out. I am joined on the phone now by John Van Ham. John, thanks so much for taking the time. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jeff. So, to start, probably the most important thing for people to understand here is what exactly are PFAS? What, what is this? For sure. So, yeah, PFAS, like you said, is a class of chemical compounds, and the, the full term is per and polyfluorinated organic chemicals, uh, which is quite a mouthful. Uh, but what essentially what it means is you have um, molecules with a lot of carbon atoms strung together, and attached to those carbon atoms are fluorine atoms. And um, that, that combination of atoms with carbons and fluorines, those are really strong chemical bonds. And so what's interesting about these molecules is because those bonds are so strong, they're very resistant to, um, you know, to extreme heat uh, or kind of extreme chemical environments, so they're very stable. Okay, so with all that in mind, what, what is the concern here? Why is this an environmental issue that uh, you feel the need to bring up? For sure. So it's, uh, it, the environmental issue kind of relates to the stability as well. So because these chemicals are, are completely human-made, um, there's no chemical similar to that in a natural environment. Um, kind of the natural processes for removing or recycling chemicals in the environment don't apply very well to these compounds. So as we manufacture more of them and they get released into the environment, uh, they don't go away. So uh, with that in mind, I guess, what, what are some of the major concerns about them? Like what kind of impacts can they have on, on people, on, on the land? What, what are the you know, physical changes that we could see as a result of the use of these chemicals? Well, that's a great question. So they found now that so chemists can detect these chemicals now, um, and they are finding them everywhere. So you'll find them all over the world, you know, including up in the Arctic. Um, you'll find them in humans and animals and plants, water, fog, you name it. So they're very pervasive. And um, recent research is linking them to um, kind of negative health impacts uh, in, in humans. Okay. Um, and, and I understand as well from reading your piece, I mean, drinking water seems to be a big concern as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, there's been a lot of cases recently, in, in, especially in the United States, where uh, communities were relying on, say, groundwater for their drinking water. If they're close to a manufacturing plant that makes these uh, chemicals or close to a major user of the chemicals, um, their drinking water gets contaminated. And then they have to install very expensive treatment systems to to remove the compounds uh, before the communities can use them, uh, use the water. Yeah, that sounds like it could be something that, uh, I mean, we've talked about uh, drinking water concerns in a number of states, and uh, this just seems like one more potential issue that they might have to deal with. I mean, we've talked about, what, like lead, and we've seen the Flint, Michigan stuff, and Walkerton, and uh, yeah, a lot of concerns that can come with contaminated drinking water. Um, yeah, so if, you know, a person were to be exposed to this kinds of material, what do you know? What, what sort of impact it could have? What sort of, um, you know, what, what would happen to a person if they were to be kind of over, overwhelmed with these chemicals in their system? Yeah, and that's a complicated question. So I think most of us carry around kind of low levels of these compounds uh, in, our, in our bodies. 
and people who work at the manufacturing plants uh, or use a lot of the chemicals will have higher burdens. And so I think right now the the research is just kind of making linkages between um, high levels of those chemicals in the body and kind of long-term health impacts. So they're kind of linking it to things like, you know, disruption in thyroid function or maybe long-term reproductive impacts. There's not a lot of, you know, 100%, um, you know, this compound, this concentration will cause this problem. So that's why it's a bit kind of hazy right now, but there's, you know, accumulating evidence that really long-term exposure uh, at low levels to these compounds might have negative impacts. So with that said, where are we as as humans, I guess, in terms of the research behind these chemicals and, um, um, you know, and, and, and the, the lobbying that's going on to remove them, I guess, from, from retail stores completely? Where, where are we in that process? Yeah, it's, I think it's, it's, I think it's becoming more and more of a hot topic. So these, these compounds were kind of first introduced commercially probably in the 1950s. And it wasn't until, you know, maybe the early 2000s that um, chemists were actually able to measure and detect these compounds in the environment. So it was about 50 years before people even started to realize that these chemicals were you know, were found everywhere in the environment, including, as I said, in human in human bodies. And so it's still pretty pretty early days uh, in terms of the research. But now that the tools are available to measure the compounds, um, you know, research is accelerating. The other big challenge is that they estimate that there's about 5,000 different chemicals of this class that are currently being used on the market. And so measuring the toxicity of each one of those individually is very, uh, very uh, time-consuming and very difficult. Yeah, 5,000 different uh, types. That's an insane number that uh, I was not expecting you to bring forward. Um, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And a lot, of the, a lot of the products that use these chemicals, the, the formulations are, are secret. They're, they're trade secrets or patented. So often, the, you know, scientists don't even know what they're looking for. Uh, when they're going out to, to measure these things. And, uh, you know, given some of the products that these are used in, I mean, they're pretty common household items for a lot of things. Um, you know, even if there was to be a complete ban on this tomorrow, uh, which probably is not likely to happen, but, I mean, how long would it take to get rid of the products that have these on there? I know you probably, you obviously can't totally answer that question, but just, like, anecdotally, um, it sounds like this one, this would be something that would take, like, hundreds of years to really phase out of our society. Yeah, I think so, at least. And, and the, the main problem is, is that um, a lot of the evidence is showing that a lot of the compounds will degrade in the environment, partially. And they seem to all kind of tend towards one or two compounds that aren't removed the environment at all. So these seem to be um, 100% persistent and could maybe take thousands of years to get removed um, from, from our environment. Crazy stuff. Well, uh, that's pretty much all I have for questions for you, Jonathan. Anything else you want to add on this topic before I let you go? Um, no, I think it's, it's an important thing to be aware of. Um, I don't know if people need to panic too much, but I think it is you know, I think it's critical that, you know, that governments and universities, you know, continue looking at these materials 
and engage with industry and end users because at the end of the day it's the consumers that drive you know that that drive the production of these chemicals mm-hmm. um, I think so engaging with those groups and looking for alternatives is really important right on and just before I do let you go can I get you to say exactly what PFAS stands for one more time because I can't say it myself so I think it's you important bet. To get so it means there. poly or per floral alkyl substances and so uh, poly means many and per means all so if you have a polyfloral substance it means it has a it has many fluorines and if it's per it means it has you know all the carbon atoms are are uh, attached to a fluorine well, John, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and speak with me. Uh, I think, uh, you know, it's a, it's an interesting piece, so I encourage people to go go ahead and read it. That's on the uh, the Conversation Canada. You can read John's piece there. So thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, my pleasure. You too. Awesome. That was TRU scientist Jonathan Van Ham. Yeah, definitely some interesting information there on those uh, PFASs, or PFAS, if you will. Um, of course, you can hear John actually say what that whole acronym stands for. I still, I just can't wrap my head around it. Some Sometimes science is a little too difficult for me. That's why I went into radio and not went into science. Uh, Coming up next, it's time to take a look back at a great weekend for your Kamloops Blazers. They went 3-0 with one win over Red Deer and then another couple of wins over Victoria, who is the team they are uh, trying to stay away from here in the BC Division. They are now separated by 10 points. I'll be joined by the man who calls every single game for the Blazers after the break, so stay tuned. John Keane will be with me next. Opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the show here on Tuesday, February 18th, and thanks so much for keeping your radios tuned right here to Radio NL. It was a big weekend for the Kamloops Blazers. They played three games over the last four days, going 3-0 and in that span. Here now to help break it all down is Blazers play-by-play man, John Keane. John, how you doing? Hey, good morning, Jess. Good to be back on with you here to recap another, oh, it was a good weekend. It was a weekend this team definitely needed. Well, let's start with uh, what I believe to be the the story of the weekend, and that is the rookie Logan Stankoven. Seven goals, uh, ten points over the course of the three games, including that four-goal game on Saturday. So let's just start there. What can you say about this young phenom here who's really turning up his game here in the second half? Yeah, crazy stretch for him, and and that was was a special night. It, It might be one of those... Where were you when Logan Stankoven scored four goals uh, as a 16-year-old type stories here? And um, it, it was incredible. I mean, and, and they, the team needs, you know, depth like this uh, to come through, especially when that top line maybe isn't going like it should. So um, he, he just has a nose for the net. He has a knack for it. His goal uh, started the comeback, kind of gave a spark in that game Saturday. There wasn't a lot going on in that game Saturday for the home team until he scored. And, you know, they were able to really uh, rally from there. And uh, it was a special night with, with the families in town uh, for, for the Blazers uh, family weekend. And, 
and Logan Stankov and put on a pretty good show. Yeah, can you maybe speak a little bit to that whole line as well? I mean, Stankov, like like we mentioned there, uh, having a heck of a stretch run here and, um, you know, definitely seems to be improving on almost a weekly basis now um, that he's, uh, you know, been a regular here in this Blazer lineup. But then, uh, you know, Kyle Sopotek has also seemed to, to pick things up a little bit here since, uh, you know, he was injured, um, you know, around what, late November, early December, he was out there. Um, so now that he's back, he seems to be hitting his stride. And then, of course, you got Semenov on that wing as well. So, I mean, can you just talk about that whole line? I guess they're really listed as the third line, but, uh, you know, they, they might be making a push to be considered part of the top six. Yeah, that, that line actually, um, you know, midweek or midweekend had to be split up because Riley Appelt was was uh, on that line to start but uh, has drawn that to-be-determined suspension. So uh, he didn't play uh, with that group yesterday, and they did put Seminoff uh, with uh, with Sopatik and Stankov. And here's the really cool thing for me, Jeff, and I, I'm a firm believer in the hockey gods here. Uh, and, and I, I <laughs> call me crazy, but I think it's important. Kyrell Sopatik, if you look on Stankoven's fourth goal Saturday night. Uh, there was a bunch of sticks in the mix, and it was on that side of the post there. In fact, Semenov stick was there, Stankoven, uh, Sopatik. It probably was Sopatik's goal. Like, I, I don't want to take anything away from from uh, from Stankoven, uh, because I think it was Sopatik's goal there. Um, and, and keep in mind, before that happened, he had not scored he had not scored since uh, November 9th. Okay, so what did he do? He does the good teammate thing, and he goes right to, to Logan in that little kind of that scrum after the goal, the celebration, to be like, yeah, no, your goal, your goal. Here's the guy who hasn't scored since November 9th, and he gives a kid a fourth goal when basically, you know, he's trying to slap, snap his own scoring slump. How do the hockey guys repay him? Well, the very next game here, he gets two goals and will probably get the hat-trick goal, the Schmeeman goal uh, in the second period, likely will be changed to Kyrell Sopatik, so he'll become uh, a hat-trick goal scorer for this hockey team. And I just think that's just a wonderful story there to uh, to have Kyrell snap out of it with uh, what will likely be three goals here when, uh, when it's officially changed. Yeah, that's some good hockey karma right there, right? Um, I want to go back to, to uh, the Appelt uh, play there on Saturday as well, because um, yeah, you, you had mentioned the hit and, and the suspension to be determined. Uh, what, what did you make of the hit first and foremost? I'll get to the reaction from the rest of the, the line afterwards, but just the hit itself. I mean, it was um, pretty dangerous looking. It was happened, uh, you know, not too far from where I was sitting there on Saturday night. Uh, looked like a dangerous play. It was pretty bang, bang. So it was uh, probably a little bit difficult for Appelt to even really try to, to let up when, when he was going in for the hit, but it was from behind. So what, what did you make of the hit? I mean, uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it overly dirty, but it definitely wasn't clean. Yeah, okay. So there's a few factors in this hit, if you really look at it and break it down here, because there's a delayed penalty coming to the Victoria Royals, right? So once uh, the, the defender, in this case, Jacob Haroff, touched the puck, uh, maybe he was expecting the whistle. But the referee is right there as well. The referee actually gets out of the way to avoid contact, and and perhaps Haroff is thinking, I touched the puck here, play is over, but the referee, because he had to get out of the way, couldn't blow the play down right away, and Appelt goes and finishes his check uh, into Haroff, who, if you look at the video, Haroff knows he's coming. He kind of takes a little peek over and sees, but uh, Appelt's a big boy. He still finishes that check. Okay. Yes, it's a major penalty, I think. Uh, In this day and age, that's a major penalty. So you have the major. You have what appears and sounds like an injury to Haroff as well. He didn't play uh, in yesterday's game. So you have a major, you have an injury, 
And you have, in this case, in Riley's case, a repeat offender. So that's three things the WHL will look at here when they're handing down their suspension. I don't want to speculate on a number, uh, but I'm thinking we're probably looking at five-plus for that hit uh, just based on the track record. But, but Riley's defense will be, look, play wasn't over yet, uh, didn't hear a whistle, uh, referee was uh, trying to avoid contact, and I think that might be factored in. Yeah, and it was also one of those plays where the uh, the, the guy who was being hit sort of turned at the very, very last second. Always something that yeah. uh, is an issue with these hits from behind where it's almost like who who has the onus to protect themselves? I mean, the, the guy making the hit has to let up when they see numbers, but you also don't want to be showing your numbers at the last second because it puts yourself in a vulnerable spot, which is always a, exactly. a tough position yeah. to really put the refs in. Um, and yeah, like I said, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on just the reaction afterwards. I mean, um, I seem to be focusing a lot on Saturday night's game, but um, there was another line brawl that occurred immediately following that hit. And um, I mean, man, can you just talk about the leadership of Zane Franklin? I know we've talked about it a lot, but just his reaction after the the, the whole incident took place, uh, he ended up getting in a real good tussle there right afterwards. And then, um, you know, after really, I mean, clearly winning that fight that he was involved in, um, you know, was, was really taunting the uh, the Royals bench afterwards a little bit too. And uh, I don't know, I, I just love this guy and, and what he brings to the, the team in terms of energy and, um, you know, the fact that he's he might be small, but he's not willing to drop the gloves. I mean, just what can you say about Franklin? I mean, he hasn't had a great stretch here when we're talking about points. Um, I mean, he's, he's kind of fallen off when looking at the scoring lead, but he's still getting it done in other ways. Yeah, Zane Franklin, <laughs> I mean, uh, the Royals must have him as this gregarious, larger-than-life figure right now because, you know, he finishes hard hits. Um, you know, he, he scraps. He's the, he's the uh, top, um, you know, point producer on this team, and yet he's the most willingness to get physical and, and drop the gloves. And yesterday, before the game, now, uh, Zane comes from a cowboy family here. They're they're, they're an Alberta family that uh, has cattle and ranches. Uh, his get-up before the game yesterday, I don't know if you're on Instagram at all, but you can go to the Blazer Instagram account. He's walking into the rink. He has, like, a long trench coat on. He has, like, a cowboy hat. He's got the thick beard. He, he looks like, like the outlawed Josie Wells, you know, like, <laughs> he, he rolls in full, you know, uh, full kind of costume almost, uh, you know, going paying homage to his to his uh, cowboy roots. And he just kind of has that. He's looking like he's headed to a, you know, showdown at the OK Corral. And I just love it. I mean, he's got so much character. Uh, and uh, this team feeds off of that. And, you know, he's had such an important stretch. And I think maybe he realizes, you know, Jeff, that maybe he isn't putting up the points, so he has to contribute in other ways right now. Yeah, no, it's just it's, he's just a real fun guy to watch play hockey, and uh, it looks like he's always having a real good time out there, whether he's scoring points or not. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's just a joy to to, to watch. And um, yeah, now that. Um uh, Stankoven sort of been uh, looking at being the goal scorer or the go-to goal scorer for now. It allowed uh, Zane to kind of focus on some other things, but I'm sure he's going to get back on the scoring sheet here in no time. And um, I don't know if he can still make a push for that uh, WHL scoring lead. It's uh, definitely uh, switched hands a little bit here with uh, with uh, what's his name there from Spokane, really seeming to uh, run away with it uh, at this point. Yeah, uh, I don't have the stats here right in front Adam, of me. Yeah, Adam, Adam Beckman, yeah, 92 points, yeah. and uh, Zane Franklin now sitting there with 81, so 11 points back. It's going to be tough to make that up, but nonetheless, uh, just uh, awesome to see a player from Kamloops sitting that high in the scoring, and, and we'll continue to watch his run. Thanks so much for doing this, John. Uh, big week coming up here for the Blazers, Blazers too, with that 25th anniversary celebration, so uh, definitely something to look forward to. Yeah, lots going on this week, so uh, we'll be all over it there, Radio NL, for sure. Right on. Well, thanks so much, John. Appreciate your time, and uh, we'll do this again soon. Okay, thanks, Jeff.
All right, that was uh, Blazers play-by-play announcer John Keane uh, talking about that great 3-0 and weekend for the Blazers here. And they now get set, like I said, for these 25th anniversary celebrations of the three Memorial Cups in, five, in four years, uh, with that last one coming in 1995. There's also a total of six WHL championships being celebrated as part of the week as well. And, of course, that'll all culminate with the game against the Calgary Hitmen here on Saturday night at Sandman Center. So we'll have that for you here on Radio NL. Well, that wraps things up for me here today. I'd wanna th- I want to thank all my guests for joining me. And, of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you joined me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow at 9.